Okay, we are in the book of Esther this morning, chapter 2, and we'll be starting in verse 12. And so uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this story that shows uh, your providential workings. Uh, even though your name is not mentioned, and there's no mention hardly of any religious activities at all, yet we see your hand working to protect your people as you uh, maneuver the pieces into place to uh, fulfill your plan. And we just marvel at that, at how you can work um, in a way so, and create, accomplish such great things um, without even being obvious about it. Lord, we thank you for that. And pray that that will be an inspiration and encouragement to us when we need great things done, but we don't see you working. Father, we pray that you'll bless our time now. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, to get our context, um, we will start reading in verse 8, and we'll read the whole chapter. Starting in verse 8, chapter 2, we'll read through the, to the end of the chapter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. So we're in 2-9 now, right? Yes. <laughs> right, Because right. that wasn't matching 1-8. One, one. I know, it's a different language. <laughs> well, I was in 1-8, and we're going, I'm not oh, seeing one. the same words. <laughs> okay, she pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with, a, with her beautiful, her beauty treatment <coughs> and special food. He assigned, to, he assigned to her seven female attendants, left it from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther did not make known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what happened to her. Now when the turn of each young lady came to go into King Herathus, after the end of her 12 months under the regulations for the women, for the days of their beautification were completed as follows. Six months with oil of myrrh, six months with spices and the cosmetics for women. Thus uh, prepared each young woman and went to the king and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. She would go in the evening, and in the morning she would return to a second harem under the supervision of the king's eunuch, Shazgaz, keeper of the concubines. She never went to the king again, unless he desired her and summoned her by name. Now in the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as her daughter, came to go to the king. She did not request anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, advised. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than into any other woman, and she won his favor and approval more than any other woman, any other virgin. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great banquet, <coughs> Esther's banquet, for all his princes and his servants. He also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts of 
according to the king's bounty. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not yet made known her kingdom or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther did what Mordecai had told her, as she had done when under his care. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, <coughs> two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and, and Teresh, doorkeepers became furious and sought to lay hands on King Azariah. When Mordecai learned the plot, we appointed it to Queen Esther, and she told the king on Mordecai's behalf. And when the plot was investigated and found out to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. Okay, so last week we saw that... Uh, uh, King Ahasuerus had returned from Greece. Now his Greek name is Xerxes. You may know him better by that name. At least in history he's recorded as Xerxes. Um, he had attacked Greece, gone and burned Athens, but then his land forces were defeated, his navy was defeated, and he returned defeated to Susa. And uh, Herodotus says he was seeking feminine comfort. Um, he'd gotten beaten and was gone home hurt, I guess. Um, Vashti was gone. He came home to an empty house. Um, so his attendants suggested, why don't you gather all the beautiful young women in, the, in your empire, bring them to Susa, you can pick yourself a new queen to replace Vashti. And he thought this was a great idea, so they did it. And hundreds of women came uh, to Susa. And then the storyline breaks to introduce Mordecai and Esther. And we saw that Mordecai uh, was a Jew who lived in Susa, and we see that he's a government official. He sits at the king's gate, and we'll see that uh, again later, uh, that phrase. And he was taking care of his younger cousin, Esther, who had been uh, orphaned. Her parents had died. Now, she was a beautiful young lady, and so she was taken uh, to the palace along with the, all the other young ladies. Um, but we also saw that she had uh, an outstanding spirit, humility and submissiveness, and that made her stand out. It wasn't just the physical beauty. There were hundreds of beautiful young ladies, but she stood out, and it was her personality, uh, her character, that had to be the thing that made her different. So she won the favor of Haggai, who was in charge of all of them, and we saw that she got very uh, preferential treatment. Um, he made sure she had all the best um, uh, cosmetics, the, the best food, gave her seven young maids to help her uh, and support her, gave her the best place in the whole harem. Um, now, at the end of what we looked at uh, last week, Mordecai tells her, don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. And also don't tell them who your relatives are locally. So apparently he did not want the king to connect her to, even to himself. Um, but at the same time, he keeps watch over her. We have, basically he hangs her, he's, he's at the palace, but it says he goes back and forth in front of the harem to find out 
uh, how she's doing and uh, mentioned that maybe one of her maids was in on this and would, be, uh, would report to him. Um, the passage doesn't tell us that, but somebody was letting him know what was going on with Esther. So this morning we're starting in verse 12, so let's look at 12 through 14 to begin with. Now when the turn of each young lady came to go into King Ahasuerus at the end of her 12 months, under the regulations for the women, for the days of their beautification were completed as follows, six months with oil of myrrh, six months with spices, and the cosmetics for women. The young lady would go into the king in this way. Anything that she desired was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the morning, or excuse me, in the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem, to the custody of Shaashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go in again to the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. So this gives us a general process that all the girls followed. So first there's this 12-month beautification process. So that after he returned, that started? After he came back from Greece? Yeah. Yes. Because He's he had... patient then if he wanted a woman to come for him for waited 12 months. Right, <laughs> right. Um, I think he probably had other concubines oh. and wives Besides around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he was looking for a replacement for yeah, yeah, you look at Solomon, how many wives right. and concubines did he have? And, I thought maybe they so, had these women in, in, in training, like an apprenticeship program, moving up all the time, maybe. So. Oh. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> Doesn't tell us that here in the passage, though. Um, so... Uh, anyways, the, this 12-month beautification process, what's described here is six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months of spices and cosmetics. And then back in verse 9, specifically with Esther, it mentions uh, the food. They're given choice food. So those are all things that all the girls are given. Um, most of the commentary is kind of just brushed over this. One commentary spent a lot of time going into detail about this process. Um, and remember, these girls came from all over the empire, from all different uh, oh, social levels. And you know, he commented that this process would lighten sunburnt skin. If they had too deep, dark a tan, it would get rid of it soften the skin, and um, sometimes the foods we eat can create certain body odors. This would help give them plenty of time to cleanse out you know, any strong spices or something that they had. Um, More garlic. Yeah, too, too much garlic, yeah, maybe. Uh, now the other thing that we have is that it, it doesn't mention here, but they need to be taught court etiquette. How do you behave in the palace? How do you behave in front of the king? They were training them to become queen. So this, like Joe said, an apprenticeship program, they're being trained to step into the role of being queen. Um, and the other thing that I had thought about was <clears throat> when the king sent his edict out, it was translated into all these different languages because this is a huge empire with lots of different languages. 
You may have girls coming to Susa who don't know the Persian language. They would have to learn the language too. So this 12 months kind of starts to make sense when you look at some of those things. Um, <clears throat> this reminds me of a movie, My Fair Lady. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Eliza Doolittle was a street flower salesperson with a strong Cockney accent and Henry Higgins was a uh, linguist who took a bet that he could pass her off as being upper class society. And it took some time to make that change. So that's what's going on here in effect. This is hundreds of my fair ladies going on. Um, so then it makes the 12 months say, yeah, you need 12 months. <laughs> Let's turn to Song of Solomon, chapter 1. I don't go to use this as a reference very often, so I was like, okay, let's find where it is. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Would someone like to read verses 5 and 6 for us? I am black but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am swarthy, for the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. Okay, so this is the young lady that uh, <coughs> will be the bride here, but she's been out <coughs> taking, um, I think she was out as a, working as a shepherd, um, as it goes on in verse 7. Yeah, so she's sunburnt. And she says, you know, the ladies in the palace all had nice fair skin and they were took parasols out in the sun, and, and she was sunburned. And so that's probably what we have here in this, this situation. We've got a lot of the young ladies just don't have that <coughs> nice pale skin that apparently they thought was uh, beautiful in those days. But she had a, uh, been out in the sun. <coughs> Let's also turn to Psalm 45. It's amazing how some cultures, the pale is beauty, and other than the earth is, you know, the sun tan is beauty. Yeah, yeah. That's an example where the pale skin is, is beautiful. Um, yeah, Psalm 45. Would someone like to read verses 6 through 8? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. As your right hand stands, the queen of golden horse. Okay, so this is a psalm about uh, royal wedding. And it, it mentions the king, who may be King Solomon, but it talks about uh, his fra you know his garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. So this the use of myrrh as a as a fragrance was common, and it wasn't just limited to the women; it was the men too. You know, it talks other places about um, the kings uh, wanting this uh, the perfumes. 
uh, fragrances around them. When you look up the word myrrh in a concordance, most of the occurrences are in the book of the Song of Solomon. You know, it's a love story, and the fragrance of, of the love. But this is one of the other places where myrrh is used. And this psalm is a messianic psalm. You know, that first verse 6, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And that refers to the Messiah. And, you know, we celebrate Christmas. What was the gifts that were brought to Christ? Myrrh. Yeah, myrrh was one of the gifts. When Nicodemus bought spices for his burial, he also bought myrrh. So from from his life to his death, there's we see myrrh uh, as a fragrance uh, for Christ. <laughs> okay, so now back to the back to the story. So they have this preparation time. It's 12 months, and when that time was complete, the girl was brought to the king. And it says she could take anything she wanted with her. Um, most of the commentaries were suggesting it had to do with clothes and jewelry and ornamentation. Um, I was wondering if maybe it would include a musical instrument, if, if they could play a musical instrument to entertain the king. Uh, that might be something that they would take. Um, <clears throat> She would spend the night with the king, and in the morning she'd be escorted away to a different harem. So we have the concubines. These are the ones who have had physical relationships with the king, and they were kept under the charge of Sha'ashgaz. So it's a different harem than what they were brought out of. Um, and so they were kept separate. You know, they were, in a sense, now the identified with the king uh, and so they were kept separate now it's possible that, that she might never see the king again she spent the one night with him and, and then she's put in this other harem for the rest of her life you know it's almost like a life sentence in a way you know it's not really it's, except it's in a very you know nice place um, you know when you think of it culture and how children were valued and you know, very likely you wouldn't have a chance for that right for and 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 I was you know they had kings who were sovereign they could do whatever they want with any of their subjects and this is an example of that so only if she was called by name would she ever see him again so that's the process that all the girls would be going through. So let's turn on, uh, go on into verses 15 and 16. And this talks about Esther's turn. It says, Now in the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, came to go into the king. She did not request anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, advised. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus, to his royal palace in the tenth month, which is in the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. So this verse is, starts out by repeating the relationship between Esther and Mordecai. Um, what it adds here is the name of her father. It was Abihail. Just another little extra detail that we're given in this uh, verse. 
Um, one of the things that commentaries note about this book is a lot of things are said at least twice. There's all these duels, duality in here. Um, and so we've, we've seen this before, it's repeated. And I've, the thing that's emphasized in this verse is she asked Haggai what she should bring with her. And that's all that she brought. She didn't bring anything else, but she brought what he advised her. And the, this, what, it, what this emphasizes is how much she honors and submits to the authorities in her life. It shows that we have, she has a very humble and modest and submissive spirit. And that might be part of why she, it mentions Mordecai again here, uh, that he had taken her as his daughter, because she was uh, had a submissive spirit uh, in the case of Mordecai. Um, and so we see her humility and her modesty. A lot of times we talk about being humble, and in our society, that's not necessarily a good thing, but you know, God blesses the humble and he opposes the proud. We see that all through scriptures. In God's eyes, humility is, a, is an excellent trait, and, and she demonstrates that here. It also says that she found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And again, it's not just her physical beauty. You know, we have beauty pageants. Every girl up there is gorgeous. But it gets to her character that makes her stand out. Um, so her grace, her pleasant demeanor. Uh, she was beautiful in both body and spirit. And she's what you might call the complete package uh, here. And she goes into King Ahasuerus. It says the tenth month of his seventh year. And so this is about four years after Vashti was deposed. So this is a four-year period there. And remember, you know, why the long break? Well, Xerxes went off to attack Greece. Yeah, he was gone to, off to war for two years and then came back and, and they had a year of preparation so you know, by the time everything was done, it's been four years. Okay, going on to verses 17 and 18. And the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his princes and his servants, he also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. So the king immediately was just smitten with her. Uh, he says he loved her more than all the women. Now this might be more than just all the other young virgins that may include all the other concubines and wives and everybody else that he had in his harem. Um, and it says he loved her. So this was more than just a beautiful, valuable possession of the king. It was, she was more than just a trophy wife. It says he actually loved her. Um, and we see that he treated her with favor. He treated her with kindness. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, she must have had this very regal bearing 
that would be appropriate to a queen and yet at the same time be very gracious and very generous and approachable. So, you know, it's, it's this unique personality that she had that, that really made her attractive. Uh, so Ahasuerus takes her as his wife and queen. And it says he sets the crown on her head. So that would be the coronation. She's made queen, officially made queen. And Vashti here is mentioned for the last time. She has been replaced. And the replacement is done. Now, much of what Esther has done here violates the Mosaic law. She's married a non-Jew. Um, but God's putting her where he wants her. Um, and she's not condemned in any way for any of this. Says so she, you know, she ate the food that they gave her. Um, I was wondering if I had reference it, but we know in you know in early part of Daniel, you know that was one of the things they they were supposed to be fed all the choice food of Babylon, and Daniel said, "No, that's not you know kosher. Let us try eating our food." And so he was very particular about not violating the food laws. But Esther uh, submitted to what they gave her, um, and I'm. I'm thinking in, in this case, you know, God is sovereign and he's sovereign over the Mosaic law. He's the one that gave that law and he can over, um, uh, I guess, overrule it as necessary. Let's look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 Someone like to read verses 25 through 28. And he said to them, Have you ever read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat, except the priests, and he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus had been healing on the Sabbath again. And he's saying, Don't, Haven't you read historically where God overruled some of the laws that he had given? And, and so we have some examples of that. God's purpose is, in some, some ways, multi-layered. You know, we're given different principles, and, we, and, and uh, God wants us to uh, show wisdom in, in knowing which principles perhaps overrule another where there's a conflict. In this case, in his sovereignty, he is, he is going to save his people. And that's more important than the food that Esther ate. So, uh, so we see God uh, putting her in this position, maneuvering her in, and, and making her the queen. 
So the king loved her, and in verse 18, the king gave her a great banquet. Had all his princes, all his servants come, and this was to honor Esther. Do you remember what happened at the previous banquet with Vashti? The king gave that to honor himself. And he was going to have Esther come in. Excuse me. Vashti come in and he was just going to show her off as, look, this is my, I guess, I use the term trophy wife. Yeah. See how great I am? I can have this beautiful wife. You know, it's almost like having her come as a display or something. You know, there was no, he was dishonoring her in favor of honoring himself. So this is, this is completely different than that. Here he's giving the banquet to honor Esther. And he treated her with honor and respect. Um, it says he proclaimed a holiday for the entire empire, uh, for all the provinces. Um, some of the commentaries said this could be either a day where you didn't have to work or it could be a holiday in paying taxes. That they, all the provinces had to send money into the kingdom. And the queen got a certain percentage of it. It was kind of interesting reading all this background uh, information. But he, you know, that may have been the holiday, you know, a tax break in, in her honor. Um, so he finds a queen that really exceeds his expectations, exceeds his imagination. And so he's, uh, he's thrilled with Esther and uh, honors her. And they have a celebration, a huge uh, uh, wedding banquet. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 19, would someone like to read verses 6 through 9 for us here? Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Okay, so here we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the, the great and last marriage supper with the church of the God that Christ has redeemed for himself comes and the marriage is, is uh, completed here in heaven. Um, so Christ has come to take his rule on the earth and to marry his bride. Uh, all those who are invited will rejoice and they'll, they'll celebrate this. And it says, The bride has made herself ready in bright, clean, righteous acts of the saints. So the bride has gone through a preparation phase just like we have in the book of Esther. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at this preparation phase. Ephesians chapter 5, would someone like to read verses 25 through 27? Ephesians 5, 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay. In the same way, husbands oh. should love their wives with their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's, that's far enough. Thank you. But do we see that this is the preparation phase that the church should be presented to, to Christ holy and blameless. Um, does this take more than 12 months? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been a believer over 50 years. God's still working on me. Um, yes, we're, we're set apart positionally, but in, in, our, in actuality, in our daily practice, we've got a long way to go and it takes time. But uh, God is preparing his bride. Uh, um, for this wedding. Uh, for the wedding supper of the Lamb. Okay, let's finish this section. We'll look at verses 19 and 20. It says, When the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not yet made known her kindred or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther did what Mordecai told her, as she had done when under his care. So here's a couple important points, kind of as a summary, as we go along in this further in the story. Um, the first part of this is kind of a conundrum. It says the virgins were gathered together for the second time. Nobody knows what that means. <laughs> um, all the, lots, lots of different ideas. Um, and one of the things is the most literal translation of the passage says that there was a second gathering of virgins after Esther was made queen. Why on earth would they do that? Um, so there's speculation. Some would say that, well, Ahasuerus wanted more women in his harem. So he kept collecting young ladies. Um, another explanation is that uh, you've got officials throughout the provinces who want a queen that's more favorable to them. So they keep sending more candidates in, hoping that their candidate will basically dethrone Esther and get into the office of queen and have power and can help their province. So there's a political motivation there. Another idea is after Esther was made queen, they, they had all these other girls that were all just transferred into the second harem. They didn't need to be sitting in Haggai's harem anymore, so they went to Ashgaz's harem. Um, we don't know. <laughs> if you have a theory, it's as good as any of those. <laughs> what we are told is that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. And again, uh, that means he was probably a government official. Let's turn to ch the next chapter, chapter 3. Someone like to read verses 2 and 3 for us. All the royal officials at the, at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. But the king had commanded his, his disconcerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down and pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the gate, king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you dis disobey the king's command? Okay. 
But what we see here is all the royal officials are at the king's gate. They're sitting at the king's gate, and Mordecai is there with them. So it's a pretty, even though he's, it doesn't, you know, we're not used to the language that says he was a government official. That may be what the sitting at the king's gate actually means. So uh, that plays out. That's part of uh, part of God moving all the pieces into place here uh, for the rest of the story. The other thing it repeats again is Esther's submission to Mordecai. You know, that's been a theme we've seen over and over again, her submissive spirit. Um, She submitted to Mordecai's instructions while under his care, and she continues to obey his instructions to not let them know that she was a Jew or what her kindred were. That's the, your relatives, your local relatives. So uh, he told her not to let them know that. Now, verse 21 is going to start kind of a little sub-story, you know, another piece of this puzzle. And uh, with our time, we'll stop at verse where we're at for now and uh, pick up that next story uh, next week. Oh, Joe, would you like to pray for us? Okay. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that spoke personally to them thousands of years ago and to us today. For the way in this, in this um, Old Testament story of how even though God's not mentioned, how God is definitely moving and, and moving a people's group and how they're protecting them in that process. And just the stories of God's protection are all through the scriptures. Thank you for that. It's also the living word that we can live by. Thank you for that. So we're just praying that we'll take the heed to what you have for us in the scriptures, that we'll um, be obedient to the callings you give us, that we'll do the things you ask us to do, that we'll take it as a living word, your instructions to us. Thank you for this hour. Pray for Robert next hour to come. We thank you for this season. It's a reminder for the gift of Christ. Your question, you pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. So I keep coming back to memory in the 